Everybody glad you're here. Those joining us online, we love you guys. We're grateful that you have tuned in. And uh, we all want to be tuned in to the presence of a good and gracious God. That's why we're here. We opened our hearts. I told Josh at the end of the nine o'clock service, right before I came up to talk, I was so grateful uh, for the the combined team, the people you see up here, the people way up high, the people in our sound booth who just open our souls to receive the presence of God. Hey, I don't know when you walked in. Yeah, God is good. If you noticed all the light bulbs that now are up in our gallery area, um, we took a couple of weekends and grabbed light bulbs and write the names of our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, maybe who have drifted far from God. We want to see them come home to God. And so we're praying for them every day. Every weekend when we walk in, we see those light bulbs. We remember names are up there. We call down the goodness of God and our friends, our family, our neighbors and coworkers. In fact, last weekend, um, you received, those of you that were here, received this 40-day guide of prayer and God's word. This is the very process Jesus used spiritually to overcome every serious challenge that he faced. So if you weren't here, Grab one of these on the way out. You know, you'll tell it because it's got my age, 40, on the front. It's not that funny. <laughs> Grab one on the way out. Make this evening, if you're a night person, make tonight your day one. If you're a morning person, in the morning when you get up, grab it. I got to tell you, I have my own personal way, um, materials, God's word, to to. Invite his presence into my life every day. But I added this to it this week. One morning I got up just full of struggle and I opened this up and I opened the text and man, it just spoke directly into my heart, into my life. That's the way God works. I didn't see it coming, but I'm very grateful for it. Use it for 40 days. Not only do you pray every day for those you love, that you would like to see come into a real relationship with Jesus. It does something in you. But I'd like to pray for those folks that we care about. If you would join me in prayer right now. Our Father, you've been so faithful to us. We have tasted of your goodness. We have been filled with your spirit. And we want to see all the people in our lives discover what we have found in you. And so we pray for our friends. We pray for our family. We pray for neighbors and coworkers, Lord. We want to see them come home to you, come into real relationship with Jesus. Please help them with your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Doesn't seem possible that it was 41 years ago. Um, I was not yet the pastor here. That would happen in August of 1981. This is like late May, May 23rd, 1981. And we are about uh, to celebrate the birth of our second son. I'm sitting on a metal stool in a hospital labor room. My Debbie is on a delivery uh, bed right in front of me. I'm right at her head so I can talk to her and touch her and encourage her and, and support her as she does all the work. And a nurse is at my side to offer assistance and the doctor's at the doctor place to do his thing. 
And above his head on either side are two mirrors angled just right so I can watch the birth process as it happens. Now that was a nice gesture, but on the inside I'm going, there ain't no way I'm looking in those mirrors. And so um, the doctor's coaching my Debbie, push, and she pushes, push, and she pushes, push, and she pushes, stop pushing. I'm like, dude, make up your mind. She says, take a deep breath. We need one more push with all you've got. And Debbie gives it to him. And um, I, I kind of sense movement in those mirrors, but I'm keeping focused on the doctor. And he says, there's the, there's the head, it's your son's head. And, and there's the shoulder. And when he said that, I glanced up in the mirror and all my world shrunk down to this tunnel of light. And the doctor says, nurse, Mr. Clark needs some smelling salts. <laughs> Mr. Clark, uh, put your head between your knees. And so I drop my head between my knees in a very manly way. Um, she took that ammonia capsule into my nose and broke it. Bam, baby, I am back in the land of the living. And uh, the doctor, he's talking to my Debbie. Good job, Mrs. Clark, you have a beautiful baby boy. And before I knew it, the nurse was laying uh, this little baby Jacob down in a bassinet beside me, and he was all blue. And that freaked me out. I thought my wife had given birth to a Smurf. Uh, no, I'm kidding. No, but all blue. And I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what this means. And I say, well, he's, he's all blue and there's, it's all right. His blood is surrounding all of his major organs and protecting them. We'll just give him a little massage and he'll pink right up. And, and, and he did. And now 41 years later, you, you get to listen to him lead you through communion and offering and preach for you. That's our Jacob. But you know what? Yeah, praise the Lord. But like, like any dad, I have relived and replayed uh, that birth experience uh, through all the years. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder if that's the way it happened for the birth of Jesus. I mean, was Jesus a blue baby? Did Mary know to massage his little body to get the blood moving everywhere it needed to be? Did Joseph need smelling salts so he wouldn't faint at the birth of his son? I wasn't there, um, though I am old. I wasn't there for the birth of Jesus. Now, I've been in, in Bethlehem several times and gone down into that cave where it all happened. A, a, a teenage mom, a, a young dad, the, the overwhelming odor of animals and their leavings that were kept in that place. No mirrors, no doctor, no nurse, no delivery bed, but a baby. And not just any baby. This Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, this is God in the flesh. Can you imagine? Can you get your head around that? The God of the universe, creator God. And the body of a baby. God come to earth through human birth. Man, just the thought of it blows our minds. And it was impossible. I mean, here's what the word of God says. Apostle Paul writes, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. You can't see God, but you can see God in Jesus. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God for God wanted 
all of himself to be in his son. Now I'll tell you the truth, it was impossible to see all of God in Jesus as a little baby in the manger. But when Jesus is a full grown adult, 30 years old, man, it was undeniable, beyond debate, irrefutable. I mean, he taught. Jesus taught like no one on the planet had ever taught. I mean, other people had given information via teaching, but Jesus taught truth, absolute truth with complete authority. It amazed people. It, it was so amazing. They were willing to drop their lives and walk in Jesus. And his truth that he taught is still changing lives. His truth has changed my life. His truth will change your life, but it's more than what he taught. I, I, I mean, the way he loved. It was God's love and his focus. His focus was relentless on the poor and the downtrodden, the outcast, the untouchable. Jesus loved the people that nobody else gave a rip about and still does. And then his miracles, it wasn't just what he said or how he loved. But this morning as I was getting ready uh, to come to church, I, I turned on the tap in our bathroom and, and, and ran everyday ordinary water into the cup of my hands. Sometimes when that happens, you know, I'll splash it on my face or take a drink. You've been there. You know what it feels like. You know what it tastes like. Well, Jesus with a thought changed everyday ordinary water. What would happen if I turned that tap and bam, it's wine. I'd take a big gulp. But that's what he did. With the thought, he changed everyday ordinary water into the most extraordinary of wines. In fact, Jesus walked on water. I'm not saying walked in water or underwater. He walked on water. Try that on the Rock River sometime. He is God, God in the flesh. He calmed a fierce uncontrollable storm with a word. It all went quiet. He healed more sick people than you can count. He cast out demons. Jesus, as God in the flesh, had more power than all the powers of hell. He made the lame to walk. He made the, the mute to speak. He made the deaf to hear. He made the blind to see. He cleansed lepers and gave their life back to them. And he raised the dead. A little girl, 12 years old, dead. But Jesus walks up, takes her by the hand, says, get up. She wakes up. She gets, doesn't wake up from sleep, wakes up from death. A funeral procession is passing by. Jesus has walked all morning just to get there for this moment. He walks up to the funeral procession and raises a young man from the dead. Raises an adult man who's been dead for four days. Raises an adult man from the dead. But maybe his greatest God-sized miracle is when Jesus, though fully physically dead, is raised from the grave. He is God in the flesh. Authoritative teaching that changes lives. The truth. His power. But most particularly... His love. 
But Jesus, all the while he is God in the flesh, he is fully and completely human in every way, just like you and I are human, completely human. So that when he worked hard, he got tired. When he walked far, 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 he had to sit down and rest. When he got hungry, he had to eat. He got thirsty. He he, he would weep when his heart was broken over people being abused. He, He would laugh. He would make other people laugh. And then he would just lose it with the judgmental religious people when they would point out the sins of others, condemning others and blind to their own ugly sin. He'd just lose it on them. Jesus was fully God and at the very same time fully human, making him the only perfect qualified candidate to die in our place for our sin. And I don't need an image to know what Jesus looked like because I see him fully alive in so many of you. Every Wednesday, Wednesday mornings, people that are hungry in our community in this immediate area, they show up here and we give them all the groceries they need to carry them through the rest of the week for them, their family, however large their family. That's Jesus in you. Every Wednesday evening, students, middle school kids, high school kids show up here, 50, 60. We serve 80 different middle school and high school kids over the course of a month. And they come and are loved by people. They come and are taught Jesus by people. They, they come and find a place to belong, a place where they, they find maybe no place else on the planet, but here they find unconditional acceptance. Every weekend, over in Kids Works, over 100 children loved and nurtured and held and taught to worship. We, one of the darkest places on the planet right now, one of the most poverty-stricken is the island of Haiti. And you, if you know me, you know I have two children adopted from Haiti. And my son uh, leads an orphanage uh, in Haiti where we take care of a bunch of little boys that are the poorest of the poor in, in their village. And those little boys, we make sure they are clothed. We make sure they are fed. My, my son, when he was a little boy, He didn't get to go to school because he didn't have clothes. He would go days and days without food. We make sure they're educated. Wilkie was, until Wilkie came to America at the age of 12, oh, is that right, 12, 13? He had never been to school a day in his life until he was 13 and went to second semester, sixth grade here. We make sure those kids get education. We make sure they grow in Jesus. That's just being Jesus. When you come on the weekend, every weekend you come and you make a generous gift to the Lord's church, that's just you being the generosity of Jesus. That's Jesus in you. And when you think, I've got to find some place to serve in this church, that's Jesus in your head, directing your heart to make a difference in his name. Um, Winter's coming. And... We're collecting now gear for the homeless in our immediate area. We know the cold weather is going to be bitter and uh, they are gonna be in perilous situations. So we provide tents and 
sleeping bags and socks and hats and gloves, everything a homeless person needs to survive the winter. But for us, we want them to know that somebody's thinking of them, somebody cares about them, and God loves them enough to provide for them through, through us. For Sunday in December, every year we, we collect coats and hats, gloves, winter gear for children that, that are going to school without a coat, no gloves. Got their sleeves pulled down over their hands or maybe they're layered with hoodies and t-shirts. Worse than not having the right gear for winter for a child is feeling like you have no dignity and nobody gives a rip about you. So we collect tons. I was talking to a lady the, the other day. I think that she's already purchased 60 coats uh, to give to those kids. We will continue to provide food for the hungry. We will continue to serve children and the homeless. But here's the deal. I know you didn't create the hunger situation in our world or our community. You didn't create the homeless problem. But Jesus did not create your sin problem, but he took responsibility for it. And so we take responsibility. Jesus and us taking responsibility for the hurting people in our world. Jesus did not create our sin problem, but he took responsibility for it on a cross. Maybe this will help you understand. There was this guy, his name um, was Sergeant Roddy Edmonds, and he served in the U.S. military during World War II. In the Battle of the Bulge, he and 12 other American soldiers were taken captive by the Germans. And the Germans put them under armed guard on a forced march. And as they march, Sergeant Roddy Edmonds gave a whispered command. Get rid of your dog tags. Pass the word. Throw the dog tags away. He knew that all the Jewish soldiers would be killed first. You see, an American soldier had dog tags, and the dog tags had their religious affiliation. So if they were Jewish, it said Jewish. Good thing that he did. It was a, a sharp play because when they got to the prisoner of war camp, the, all the soldiers, 1,200 of them were lined up in formation and he was in the front row. The commanding officer at the prisoner of war camp, the German guy, comes up and puts a pistol at the forehead of Sergeant Edmonds and said, Tell all the Jewish men to step forward. I don't know how he got the courage to do this, but he just looks the, looks the guy back in the eye and said, we're all Jewish. You're gonna have to kill every last one of us, starting with me. And because he was willing to personally identify with his men, with the Jewish men. All 1,200 and 200, 200 of them were Jewish. All of them got to live to see another day because of his stand. Well, when Jesus took a stand for you, I mean, Sergeant Roddy Edmonds has been awarded and mentioned by the U.S. government and the Israeli government. Jesus didn't get an award. He got nails through his wrist and feet. It cost Jesus his life. And when he died on that bloodstained cross, when he stood up for us, 
He was taking our place. He was our substitute. He was getting the punishment I deserve for my sin. He was paying the penalty that you deserve for your sin, but Jesus took it all on himself. He died a death we deserve to die so we could live the life that we don't deserve to live. Now, I, um, I wasn't there when they killed Jesus. But I rehearse it in my mind um, on a regular basis because I want my heart never to lose a sense of, of appreciation for what Jesus did in my behalf on the cross. And I know, I, I know what the Bible says that they pulled his beard out forcibly mm, by the roots. That they took a club and beat his head again and again and again. That they beat his face beyond recognition. That they stripped him of his clothing and they lashed his back, skin off, meat out, chunks of bone. Horrific loss of blood. I know that. I read the Bible. And we all know that the spikes were driven through his wrists and through his ankles. And that they shoved a spear up under his ribs and into his heart. And when they pulled out and blood and water came out, they knew. Dead. Finally. Dead. Dead meat. But you go through that process thinking about that suffering and it makes me ask a couple of questions. Here's question number one that I ask. I mean, if Jesus was God, is God, why would he become human? It's like, Jesus, what are you thinking? I mean, we all have our pain. We all struggle with mental health issues. We have loved ones who struggle with mental health issues. We have lo loved ones who battle cancer. Some of us get cancer. We've got big, hurtful problems. Life is hard. Life is a struggle. Why would Jesus, God, with all the angels to serve him and worship him and do his pleasure, why would he become like us? God became flesh to be with us. More than that, to be for us. More than that, to be one of us and to suffer in every way and to face every trial and test and temptation that we have except he passed every test with flying colors so that when he laid his life down on the cross, he was completely without sin, knew no sin, did no sin, said no sin. But he willingly died, sacrificed his life to pay for our sin. They killed Jesus because he was God in the flesh. They hated it. They hated him. They had to stop him. They had to shut him up. They had to put an end to it. This God in the flesh, we're done with him. Jesus, as God, became flesh to be one of us, to be one with us. And here's the second question I ask. When I think about all that horrific brutality, I want to know, why did they kill Jesus? Was it because he was so kind to children? Was it because he befriended prostitutes? I mean, was it because he healed the sick and fed the hungry? Remember when he gave clothes to the naked? It wasn't just that he 
covered them. He gave them dignity. A dignity they had lost to poverty and evil. And he clothed them, not just to keep them warm, but to let them know that they mattered. They killed Jesus because he was God in the flesh. And so here's the great profound paradox. They put Jesus to death for being God in the flesh. But the whole reason Jesus took on flesh in the first place was to rescue us from death. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Jesus that whoever believes in him will never die. Live forever. They killed him because he was God in the flesh. Though he became flesh to rescue us from death. Uh, remember the Titanic when it hit that iceberg, there were two other ships in close proximity. There was the California and the Carpathia. The California was only 20 miles away and saw the, the flares, saw, heard the, the distress signal. But they didn't change course. The California just kept right on going. People were in need. People were going to die. It was going to be a terrible disaster. They just kept going on their way. Forget you guys. 20 miles away. Now, 60 miles away was the Carpathia. They saw the distress flare. They heard the distress signal. And they, well, you know what they did? They fired up extra engines so they could divert their course and head straight for the Titanic and get there as quickly as they could. We won't sail by people in need. We'll sail into the fight. And the crew of the Carpathia, when they got there, they pulled 705 people, saved them out of the icy waters of the Atlantic. We all have that choice. Just keep right on going, right by a kid in need, a homeless person in need, a hungry person. Don't give a rip. Just keep right on going or change the course and head into the hurt and meet the need and rescue somebody. Here's the promise that Jesus has made this church has made me personally, has made you personally. The Lord has promised that he will not leave us or desert us. That's everything to me. And if he will not leave us or desert us, then we believe, this church believes, we cannot leave or desert hurting children, hungry people, people far from God. We gotta steer this church and steer our lives right to the point of need and meet the need. Now, this is my first weekend to share this. December of every year, we receive a um, very generous love offering. One year, pre-COVID, it was like uh, over $200,000 that people gave. And I think during COVID, one time uh, it was over 150000 because we put up that playground for children. But whatever, again this year, we'll have a very generous love offering, but 
I just, I just have this sense from the Lord that it's to be for children. Our children that, that we serve every week here at our Janesville campus, in our Latino congregation, in our inner city campus, our students, the teenagers that we serve, middle school kids, high school kids. I mean, part of it is there is a war being waged for the minds and hearts of our children like never before. And so here's the deal. Our kids need help. And we want to make them the focus of our love and our generosity. You know why? Because they can't pay us back. That's real love. Real love is giving, asking nothing in return. That's the love of Jesus. And so we give knowing that we can't get anything back. And I know there's a, there, about inflation. And um, I've had to leave my firstborn child a couple of times at the gas station when I filled up my truck. <laughs> I know what's going on at the grocery store. Do you know how much spam costs right now? That's half my diet. No, I know that. That's what I'm telling you early. We do it in December. This is October. My Debbie and I can set aside money. You can set aside money. And what you'll find out, you won't even miss it. Because when you set aside for the Lord, he replenishes, he provides, he resupplies in your life. But it's not just in December. Because children need us. Students, high school kids, middle school kids need us. We will be their help. We will love them and ask nothing in return. Not just to help rescue them, but let them see the love of Christ in us. You see, um, the real love is giving, asking nothing in return. And I tell you, you see that phrase, real love is giving, expecting nothing in return? You know where we get that? Jesus taught us that. And because he believed that, because he said that, they killed him. It's just that he didn't stay dead. That's not, his death is not the end of the story. Three days later, he walked out of that tomb. The stone is gone. Not for, yeah, not for him to get out, but for us to see in. It's not just that I've been to Bethlehem a number of times where he, to the place he was born. I've been to the empty tomb. His body is not there for he is risen victorious over the grave and hell and sin and death. That's our Jesus. He lives in us. Our Jesus, they couldn't stop him. He is unstoppable. Because our Jesus is unstoppable, his real love is unstoppable. And so we show all kids, all colors, all kinds, all cultures of kids, from the nursery to high school and beyond, we show them the love of Christ. You know, I got to this point in my talk uh, last night and at nine o'clock, and I had our people stand uh, to pray, and I'll invite you to do that right now. I'd like to pray a prayer blessing over you. But after the prayer, last night, uh, four people came forward to be joined with Jesus in baptism. 
to share with his unstoppable Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And after the nine o'clock service, two people came forward. And so I want to give you that opportunity as well. I'm going to pray the goodness of God down over you. But I'm also going to give you the opportunity. When my prayer is over, I'm just going to come right off the stage and be right down here waiting for you. And if you've never experienced Jesus in the profound beauty of baptism, sharing in his death, burial, and resurrection into new life, into new supernatural life, into new supernatural love, I want to invite you to that experience. So first, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, we'll pray together. Our Father, you are a faithful God and your name is holy. You are holy. And you are willing by the death of Christ and his victory over the grave to make us holy. There ain't nothing holy in me but you make us holy by the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, I call down your goodness on every family, every marriage, every single mom, every person in this room, every young person, every older person. Right now, your goodness. Let them sense your presence. Lord Jesus, would you sweep over this room, touching heart after heart, drawing people to yourself. Drawing people to experience you in baptism. It's why you brought them today, Lord. Move. Help them respond to you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we want you to love through us. We're committed to love children and teenagers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.